Uh, we are going to be reading through Daniel 9 today, and I'm going to be reading some longer chunks of Scripture, and I don't have them on the screen for you, so you may want to, if you don't even normally, uh, please open up and follow along so you can kind of see where we're going and uh, as we look at what the Lord has to say to us this morning through His Word. Um, as you're turning there, I'll tell you a story about my mother-in-law. It's always an interesting way to start. She could be watching. It's a good story. Um, when she wanted to uh, take uh, her family on a vacation. Uh, this is before she was my mother-in-law. She was taking uh, her kids, and she was still my wife's mom at that point. She was taking them on a vacation. She, my uh, Wendy was about 13 or so, and they were going on vacation. She wanted to go to Disney World. And they lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time. And she wanted to take them to Disney World. And so she went down to, uh, this is before GPS. This is before, you know, you know, your ways on your phone and all that. And how do you get places? Got to get a map, right? So she goes down to the AAA office, goes, looks, wants to get her, pick up some maps. And she says to the young woman that's working there, uh, we'd like to take a trip to Disney World. And uh, she says, great. And she goes, turns around, comes back, and comes back with a couple maps and gives her two maps, a map of Arizona and a map of California. And um, Wendy's mom said, well, this is great, but you must have misunderstood. I said, Disney World, not Disneyland. She said, yeah, I know. So, well, Disney World is in Florida. Disneyland is in California. And she said, oh, okay. So she turned around, went back, and comes back with a map of Florida and gives her a map of Florida. And, uh, and Norma says, well, that's great, um, but there are some states in between. <laughs> New Mexico and Florida, it would be helpful to have those maps as well. And uh, so she turns around. I wasn't there, but this is what I'm told literally happened. She turns around and looks at a map of the country that is behind her. And she looks at it. And then she goes and grabs a bunch of maps, throws them on the table before Norma, and says, take what you need. I don't know where Florida is. Um, <laughs> working in a travel office. <laughs> when you want to learn something, usually you want to go to someone who's an expert in it. And maybe not that person was less than an expert, we'll say. Uh, but when you want to learn something, you want to go to someone who maybe is uh, further along than you, knows a little bit more about it than you, right? It's wise. That's a wise way to learn things and to pick things up. I can't tell you how many lunches I have taken other pastors out to. I have no idea how many there were, but uh, I have constantly will take a pastor out to lunch because I want to learn. I want to know, what are you doing? How do you do this? You know, how do you handle this? How do you handle that situation? And maybe you do the same thing in whatever line of work that you're in. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had our elder and deacon retreat that we do once a year. And as a part of that, what we did uh, one day is we took a trip to another local church that's doing some different things and that's having uh, some success reaching people in New England for Jesus. And so took the whole board up to the church and said, hey, what are you doing? We want to learn. Teach us. Show us. You know, what is it that you guys have learned? And sometimes, you know, you want to do that if you want to learn something. If you're a... Um, Maybe if you're an, a business person or an investor, you know, and you had the opportunity to take Warren Buffett to lunch and, you know, pick his brain, you know, how do you choose your next stock? How do you, you know, how do you invest? That would be a great opportunity. If you're a budding author, you know, maybe a lunch with John Grisham. If you're a chef, you know, you want to go to lunch with Rachel Ray. You want to pick Rachel's brain for a while, find out what she's doing, right? You're a designer, you know, Joanna Gaines. You want to... Talk to her and find out where to put shiplap and can there ever be too much shiplap because when I watch Joanna, apparently you can never have enough shiplap. When you want to find something out about someone, you spend time with someone who's an expert at it. What about prayer? What about prayer? As we're Christians and as we learn to pray, if I want to learn to pray, who is it that I would want to spend time with? If I have something especially important, maybe, maybe you at times have something especially important that, uh, that, that something that you know that unless God intervenes, it's just not going to 
happen the way you're hoping it's going to happen, that it's going to take an act of God to move something in your life. And you'd like to learn how to pray. Uh, who would you go to? Who would you sit down and have lunch with? If I could do lunch with anybody, uh, there's probably a few names that are on the list, but one of them uh, would certainly be Daniel. Uh, one of them I'd want to sit down with and say, Daniel, who went into the lion's den and lived to tell about it, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about how you pray. I'd love to know that. When we come to Daniel chapter 9, we actually have the curtain pulled back on Daniel's prayer life. We actually have an insight into what it's like for Daniel to pray, how he prays, and I think also a model for how we are to pray. And especially how to pray in exile. That's where Daniel was. Or for us, how to pray when you're in a difficult situation. How to pray when you have something that is so important that you can't see it not be an answer, but also it's so impossible that you can't see it coming about apart from God. That's what Daniel's praying for. So I want to look at his prayer in chapter 9. Before we get to the beginning of the chapter, look at verse 19 with me. In verse 19, Daniel chapter 9, verse 19, we actually have a helpful summary of the prayer that Daniel is about to pray. And uh, so I'm going to start at the end of his prayer to give you how he sums it up, and then we're going to jump back to the beginning. Here's what Daniel chapter 9, verse 19 says. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Those three words, if you've got your connect card and you've got a pen, write those three words down on the back. Hear, forgive, act. If you're looking for a template on how to pray, we're going to look at the more specifics of it. But if you're looking for a template on how to pray, that's a pretty good one. They say, oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, forgive. And oh Lord, please act in this situation. That's the template that Daniel has for his prayer. And we're going to see that as we walk through that together here this morning. So let's jump back to the beginning of the chapter. Let's look at the part where here, or the part where he addresses God himself in the beginning of his prayer. The first couple verses are going to give a setting that kind of gives the uh, grounding or why he's praying. And it lets you know what is it that's so important that he's praying for. Let me read those two verses. I'll explain that to you. Then we'll get into the prayer. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. All right, pause there for a second. Let me bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us. Daniel uh, was taken for Jerusalem's his home city uh, where he lived, and he was taken from there as a teenager when the city was leveled and uh, decimated by the Babylonians. It was decimated by the Babylonians, but God had told his people that actually I'm allowing the Babylonians to do this because you have not followed me, you have not listened, and I'm allowing them to come in and do this. And you're going to be away. You're going to be exiled for a period of time. And Jeremiah the prophet said that period of time is 70 years. And here's what Daniel realizes. Time's just about up. It's been about 70 years. Uh, Daniel is an octogenarian. He is about 85 years old probably at this point. And he realizes the 70 years is up. But here's what he also realizes. It doesn't look like anything's happening. And there's no sign that anyone's going back to Jerusalem. So time to pray. And so he starts to pray. In verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his, keep his commandments. This is how Daniel starts his prayer. This is Lord here. This is not your average morning quiet time with the Lord. This is not your, you just got up and the sun's shining through the window and you're in your most comfortable chair and you've got your hot cup of coffee with your scripture verse on it and your Bible's laid out and your devotional and you start taking pictures and choosing your Instagram, you know, filter and hashtag mornings with Jesus. This is not that. I'm sure Daniel probably had mornings like that, minus the Instagramming. But I'm sure he had mornings where everything was right with the world and, and we're just going to get up and spend time in God's word and, and everything's wonderful. But this is not that. This is not that. He called out to God in fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, it says. He called out to God. It was no small thing for Daniel to approach God Almighty. Changes his dress. Changes his eating habits. Changes his looks. He puts on ashes, which is a sign of mourning. He's getting serious with God because he's got a serious request that he's got to ask. I wonder as we start this prayer... When we approach God, if we sometimes do it in much too casual of a manner. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that uh, God doesn't hear us. But I wonder if sometimes we approach the God of the universe like we're texting one of our friends. When we have something of importance, maybe for God, do we just take a few minutes and, you know, throw one up to the big guy? as guys on the golf course will sometimes say to me when they find out I'm a pastor. Yeah, they don't know what else to say. So they say, throw one up to the big guy for me. <laughs> we approach God that casually at times. Or do we stop our lives, change everything we are doing, take off our celebration clothes, stop our feasting, turn to fasting and cry out to God? Well, you say, doesn't God hear me either way? He certainly does. He hears what you say and he hears how we say it. I wonder if sometimes when we approach God in prayer, we don't treat him like we do a Google search. I just pop in the search, your request, and here comes your response. Google doesn't care what you're wearing. Google doesn't care your attitude. Google doesn't care your posture. And we just pop in our request and out comes our response. But there's different ways we make requests. We don't make all requests like that. Think about the way a man would ask a woman to marry him. Be a little different than a Google request, right? Be a little different than a, than a Google search. Think about if you were courting someone and you wanted to take them out on a date, how you might prepare to make that invitation. Think about if you're at work and you need to make a big request from your boss. Maybe you got to request a significant amount of funds for your budget this year. You're not going to do that in a casual manner. You think about what you're going to wear. You think about what you're going to say. You don't rush it. You do that out of respect for the person you're approaching and the occasion involved. I mean, what if a gentleman, if you were, or ladies, when, when your husband was proposing to you, that he just sent you a text, said, marry me, question mark, smiley emoji, you know, or let's get hitched, you know, question mark, or do you want to get married, question mark, what if it came like that? Let me tell you for a second, young ladies, if you get a text like that, I'm going to give you your response. If somewhere in the future, young women, some boy texts you with, do you want to get married, question mark, emoji, here is your response. You ready? Write it down. Here it is. Your response is yes, but not to you, buddy. Take a hike. <laughs> and here's why. He's not taking serious enough what he's asking for. 
He's asking for the rest of your life. He's asking you to forsake all others to love him only. And if he asks it in a text, he doesn't recognize what he's asking you for. If you shoot a quick email to your boss and say, hey, I need this large part of our budget to do this project, don't be surprised when she says no, and she probably should, because that's not the way it goes. Put it in a proposal. Make your pitch. Let me know you're serious about how you're going to handle the funds, how you're going to handle this project. We take our time when things are serious and important. I'm afraid many of us too much of the time, even when there is something substantial that we need to pray about, put more thought into how we would approach asking someone for a date or a boss for a a proposal of funds than we do when we approach the Almighty God. Yes, God hears. He hears all of it. The substance, the words, and the seriousness or lack thereof that we take it. Daniel had followed God all of his life, had trusted him in the den of lions, had been delivered, but he approaches God with reverence. And because of the seriousness of the request, he changes his routine. He changes his dress. He stops eating. He's saying to God, this is important to me. You are important to me. This and you are more important than my comfort and even my physical needs right now. Someone say, well, is that, he's trying to manipulate God? It's no more manipulating than the marriage proposal is manipulating. It's expressing respect for the person and the occasion and the request that's being made. And so Daniel prays, Lord, hear my prayer. But he approaches the Almighty very reverently and carefully. And I think at times we ought to give thought to the way that we approach God in that way. Secondly, the second part of the prayer, the first is hear, the second is forgive. After he's finished the first part of his prayer confessing who God is, he now confesses who he is. And he asks for forgiveness. I'm going to read this next section of the prayer. It starts in verse 5. It goes through verse 15. Here's what I want you to listen for as I read it. Listen for how Daniel views himself. Listen for the amount of times he makes confession and asks for forgiveness. Let's see if you see the different wording that he uses for this. This is Daniel praying to God. This is us learning how to pray from Daniel. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. 
For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Those aren't easy verses and words to hear. It's not your comfortable prayer. But here's what I want us to see. In a prayer that lasts from verse 3 to verse 19, 10 of those verses are taken up by confession and asking for forgiveness. He takes prayer seriously and he takes confession seriously. Did you hear all the different ways he says it in there? He says, we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments and rules, not listened to your servants, the prophets. Which one of those is not true of us? Have we not also sinned, rebelled, turned to our own way? And yet how much of our prayer time is taken up like Daniel's in confession, recognizing, God, this is true of me. And we keep going our way. Daniel said, our people, my people, the people I'm a part of, even when you discipline them, even when you showed them the consequences of their actions, they still kept going their own way. And we often do the same. Daniel is essentially saying here, there is nothing good in him or the people he comes from. They have the word of God and did not follow it. They experienced the loving discipline of God and did not heed it. They still continued to go their own way. He's essentially saying, God, I recognize that for which I'm about, that for which I'm about to ask, there is no reason you should do this based on who I am or the people I come from. I have no leg to stand on here. I have nothing and I deserve nothing from you. That's what Daniel's saying. He's saying, look, God, I understand who you are. That's how it started. You are the almighty God. You, you are high and lifted up. You, this is who I am. I'm a sinner. I've rebelled. I'm not worthy. I, I, I bring nothing to the table, Lord. You see, when we make a request of people in this world and they grant it, it's usually on one of two reasons that it's granted. Either it's granted on the basis of relationship or uh, like this. Um, say, say you wanted to, uh, you needed a truck to move. And you went to your friend and you say, hey, can I borrow your truck to move? And the first thing that comes to his mind is, thank you for not asking me to help you to move. And the second thing he does, of course, sure, what are friends for? Take the truck, right? right? Based on relationship. Or your family member has a hard, going through a hard time. And you say, hey, I want to help you out. We're family. That's what family does. You know, it's based on relationship. Sometimes a request is granted. The other thing a request is granted on is based on exchange. Uh, So I need a truck to move and I go down to U-Haul. And I said, hey, can I get a truck to move? And they said, sure, here's how much it costs. We'll exchange. We'll give you the truck. You give us the money. And we'll grant your request. Here's what Daniel's saying. I've got neither. I've got, not, I've got no reason you should answer this request because based on relationship, all I've brought to the table is brokenness, rebellion, gone my own way, sin. Or there's no reason that you should grant my request based on the way I have treated you. Second thing he says, as far as exchange, well, Psalm 50, 50 verse 12 answers that best when God says this if I were hungry I wouldn't tell you for the world is mine and everything in it there's no exchange with us we can't give God something he needs so Daniel understands the situation I am broken helpless and hopeless without God but he still has this request He's got something in his life that he needs from God. I don't have anything to offer. I've got no relationship leg to stand on. I've got nothing I can give you that you need. 
but I need something from you. I need you to act in this way. And so he will ask God for his request. Look at the end of the prayer, chapter 9, verses 16 through 19. And as I read these verses, now listen for this. Listen for the basis on which Daniel asks his prayer to be answered. Because we just said it can't be on his relationship, it can't be on what he's done, it can't be on anything he can offer. So listen to the basis on which Daniel asks his prayer to be answered. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So Daniel has this big request. He's going to ask of God, but he knows, God, I've been nothing but a sinner, and I don't have anything to offer you. So on what basis can I ask you to answer this request? And it says it in there several times. It says, according to your righteousness, in verse 16, for your own sake, in verse 17, the city that is called by your name, verse 18. Not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, verse 18. For your own sake, verse 19. Because your city and your people are called by your name, verse 19. Daniel says, don't do it on my, anything I've done. I've got nothing to offer. Don't do it based on my righteousness. Lord, do it because of who you are. Lord, do it because of who you are. When it comes to prayer, the Lord Almighty owes us nothing. When it comes to our prayer life, the sooner we figure that out, the better. There's a story that Jesus tells of two men praying. One man was, had lived a wretched, sinful life, and he knew it. And he came to the place of prayer and he cried out, God, have mercy on me. And not far from him standing was a very religious man who by all outward appearances had lived his life the way that people would say a religious person should and was right with God and as far as other people might think. And his prayer was, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And Jesus said, which one of those prayers do you think God heard? And he said, the one of the man who knew his standing and who cried out for mercy. But Daniel comes and he says, God, I know my standing. I've got nothing to offer, but God have mercy. Not based on my righteousness, but based on your mercy. Would you do it? When we pray, this is why when we pray, we do it in Jesus' name. You might wonder, why is it that you close out your prayer all the time in Jesus' name? It's not because we need a salutation like the end of a letter. You know, sincerely, and we just use in Jesus' name. That's not why. It's because we recognize, I hope, that everything we've just said has no basis of standing before God unless it's in Jesus' name. Because I bring nothing to the table. It's only based on my faith in Jesus and what he has done that gives anything that God might consider worth answering. And so the beginning of the prayer, the middle of the prayer, and the end of the prayer is all in Jesus' name. It's not because of what I can do, it's who I know, who I'm connected to. And that's what, why we pray in that way. 
So it's in that basis that Daniel comes, not based on our righteousness, but based on your mercy. And the sooner we learn this, the better. Because I think sometimes we might say we learn this, but somehow we still feel otherwise. We feel like, well, I need to have a really good week if I'm going to ask God for this. You know, I, I need to have a week that I was a little better than last week. You know, I sinned a little less this week than last week so I can bring my request to God. It's like, I've been a good boy this week, I've been a good girl this week, so God, when you go down and you check your list twice, could you just answer this request for me? And that's the kind of thinking we get into. And Daniel says, no, that's not it. I got nothing. I don't care how good a week you had. I don't care how well you think you lived your life. We are as sinners who have rebelled against a holy God. I got no leg to stand on. But God, based on who you are, God, based on your gracious merciful touch would you do it not because of who I am but because of who you are here forgive would you act Lord would you act he asks him to not based on who he is but based on who God is and then he does God acts. In fact, God answers his prayer. So let's turn to the answer to his prayer, picking it up in chapter 9, verse 20. He gets a pretty remarkable answer to his prayer. In fact, he gets a supernatural answer to his prayer. God sends a very angel from heaven to answer Daniel. Verse 20, it says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people of Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. So we see that pattern. God hear, God forgive, God act. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Three things that are told to Daniel right now that I think are also told to us. One is this, your prayer has been heard. As soon as you started speaking, God heard your prayer. It's the same for you. Daniel, it's the same for Daniel as it was for you. The Bible says that you, through faith in Jesus Christ, your words come into the very throne room, into the very presence of God. When you speak them, God hears them. And the message of the angel to Daniel is the message of God to you, that when you pray, your prayer is heard. The second thing he says to him is, for you are greatly loved. Daniel, God heard your prayer and he loves you. And it's true for you as well. That the God who hears your prayer is a God who loves you. God who can be trusted with your prayer. A God that regardless of how the answer comes or what the answer may or may not be, Daniel, what you need to know is you're loved. Because I'm going to tell you, the answer we're going to read in just a second may not have been the answer Daniel wanted to hear. But he said, Daniel, you are loved. God heard your prayer, and you are loved. And so God has sent a word to answer you. Sometimes we just need to know that. There's um, someone uh, in the church who's been given a terminal diagnosis and their health and uh, talking with her uh, she said uh, you know of course praying for healing and asking God for that but she's got a sense from God that it's probably not going that way this time that that's not going to be God's answer not that she doesn't have faith she does she just has this sense from God that that's not this the way it's going to go this time. But recently, uh, and she was wanting to know though that God had heard her, hears her, knows her. And so recently someone had brought over to her uh, some soup 
And uh, it was her exact favorite soup. And this person didn't know that. This person was just trying to do something nice and give something to her. And they brought over her favorite soup for her to eat. And in that moment and in that act, she said what she knew is that God knows exactly where she is. And God loves her. And maybe the prayer isn't going to be answered the way she wants it to be answered. But she knows God hears her. And she knows God loves her. And that's what this angel says to Gabriel. Your prayer is heard. And you are loved. And there's a word that God has for you. And now let's look at that word that the angel gives him. Chapter 9, verse 24, through the end of the chapter. And here's what he says. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. In troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's all the time we have for today. So we're going to close. <laughs> These four verses are, uh, without a doubt, the hardest four verses in all the book of Daniel to understand. Uh, some commentators would say and argue that they are the hardest four verses in all the Bible to understand. Uh, there is certainly as much written and argued about in these four verses than perhaps any other verses in Scripture. In fact, many of the commentators that we would read when we consult on a series like this, for the most part, often agree in large part when we consult them. Uh, on this passage, uh, the only thing that's consistent is the inconsistency of the variations of understandings of this passage. They're part of God's word and they're important for us. To give you a sense of how challenging they are, Pastor Alistair Begg, who I find I enjoy listening to his sermons, very rarely uh, sounds unsure or confused started his message out on this passage with these words. In what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about to now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. It's a challenging passage. Even people that agree on almost everything else sometimes disagree on what this passage means. Pastor Begg also gives a helpful reminder, which I would give to us too. He reminds us that when it comes to Scripture, the plain things are the main things. And that as a principle for interpretation of Scripture, the clear should always interpret the unclear and not the other way around. And so we need to keep that in mind. On a Sunday morning with just a few minutes left, we're not going to go into all the nuances of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. A better place for that is in a Bible study that takes significant time with it. In fact, we have a Bible study that has taken significant time with this passage. Our Precepts Bible study that meets on Monday nights a couple of years ago studied the book of Daniel. And there was a complete session on just these four verses. In fact, K. Arthur takes 57 minutes to unpack these four verses. And even then, uh, there's still questions 
that someone may have. Uh, so I would encourage you, actually, I watched that video this week. It was helpful to me. Um, those, if you're not, if you've been a part of Precepts, maybe you've seen it and we're in that class. But if you aren't, uh, haven't been a part of Precepts, actually those videos are available for you uh, through the church's Right Now Media account, which is available to you for free because you attend Mount Hope. You can sign up for a Right Now Media account. And all of K. Arthur's Precepts videos on Daniel are on Right Now Media. And you can watch that 57-minute video on how she unpacks these four verses of Daniel 9. And if you want to take a deeper dive and look at that, I encourage you to do that. There's others that have a lot of great resources. I probably listened to half a dozen messages this week on these four verses of Daniel chapter 9. Um, so if you want to take a deep dive in there... Um, you can, you can do that in those places as well. Here's what I want to say for this morning as we reflect, because I really do want to focus on the prayer that we just looked at. But here's what I think that's helpful for us uh, for this word from Daniel that we can say and that I want to say to you this morning. Here's what's going on. Uh, so the 77s, almost everybody agrees is this, not 70 actual weeks, but 70 weeks of years. 70 weeks of years. So 70 times 7 of years that this prophecy and word to Daniel is given to be 490 years. And of those 70 weeks, there's one that's talked about in verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, uh, that seems to be still to come, because the things that are listed in that verse uh, don't seem to have all come about yet. And so there seems to be more to this prophecy that even in our day, living some 2,500 years after Daniel, have yet to be fulfilled. And so that leaves 69 weeks uh, that have already occurred, uh, and, or as the text puts it, 62 plus 7, 69 weeks, and 483 years that the vision is given to Daniel. So what does this mean? Well, where does the clock start would be a good question. So verse 25 seems to start the clock. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again. Thus the 69 weeks. So the clock starts when the decree goes out to restore and build Jerusalem. Well, when does the decree go out to restore and build Jerusalem, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Uh, there are a couple decrees that go out about Jerusalem, but the one that really goes out that we point to that says go back and rebuild the temple uh, is the one that we look at when we studied Nehemiah and Ezra. When Ezra was told, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And, um, and he was allowed to do that. And then Nehemiah went back after Ezra and rebuilt the walls of the city. So when did that decree go out? That decree to Ezra went out in 458 BC. Uh, 458 BC was when that decree went out to Ezra. And so, 458 BC, 483 years, or 69 weeks of seven, will put you right in the life of Jesus. Somewhere between 27 and 32 AD, um, you say, how could it be indefinite? Well, depending on how you uh, date the years, and 360-day years, 365. I'm not going to go into all that. Go watch K. Arthur. She goes into all that. But uh, 43 puts you right in the life of Jesus. And here's the thing. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares, moat, but in troubled time. And then after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And this prophecy to Daniel is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing that there is an anointed one that God is sending and he is going to come and he's going to be cut off or killed. And Daniel didn't understand all of that at the time and we in hindsight have the benefit of understanding it a bit more, though maybe not even completely fully. I uh, put this somewhat in the category of what Pastor Marvin said last week, uh, when that sign hanging in the air and when you come to it, you'll know what it means. 
And I think there are some things in this text that we look and we think we know what they mean, and, but when we come to them, we will surely know what they mean. Just as Daniel might have had some idea what the 483 years would result in, but when they got there, oh, Jesus, and oh, he died on a cross. He was cut off. This is what it meant. They might have had some idea, but they knew surely uh, they should have when it was fulfilled in Jesus. And so the amazing thing is, here's what the angel says, what Gabriel says to Daniel. God is answering your prayer. He's heard you. He loves you. And he's going to act. But it's not going to be in your lifetime. You're not going back to Jerusalem. In fact, to your kids, it'll be a, uh, may not go back. It's going to be a while. But God is acting. And he's going to bring his anointed one. And there is going to be a time where sin is completely atoned for. And God is at work. And even beyond that, he points to a time even beyond that. That's the end of time. And he says, God's at work. And you can trust him. I started this section off by quoting Alistair Begg on this passage. I want to close this kind of section on this as well with another quote and how he ends his message. Pastor Alistair Bragg ends with these two things. One, I believe these two things. One, God's word is true and unstoppable and he will bring it to pass. I have confidence in that. Two, you are smart, intelligent people and you can go to the word of God and you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you can study it. And you can spend more time in depth with this. And you can look into it more for yourself and look at it. And I trust you to do that. I trust that on Sunday mornings, this is not the only time you are reading your Bible and looking into these things. Uh, be a part of a Bible study like Precepts or others. Um, get into the Word yourself and search it out as God speaks to you. But what I want us to take this morning with us from this vision is God's response to Daniel is, look, there's a plan that God is outweighing. I believe 69 weeks has already happened. There's another week still to come. Uh, and there's a lot that goes on in there that we're not going to get into uh, in the time we have this morning. But he says, God hears you, he loves you, and he is acting. And so as we close out our time this morning, I want to just take a moment to respond to God's word and to pray. And I'll ask our music ministry to come back and return. I think when a lot of people come to Daniel chapter 9, they spend a lot of time on these last four verses. And that's okay. I'm not faulting. I think you, I encourage you to look further into it, to study it more. This is God's word and God's word to us is important. But don't miss the 19 verses of prayer that come before it, that teach us how to pray, that teach us about the life that Daniel was living. And so as we respond this morning, you know, maybe life with you is going great. Uh, maybe you do have those Instagrammable moments and prayer life is good and your life is going well. And if it is, thank God for that. But you will come a time where you hit a wall. You will come a time where something in your life hits and it is immovable and it will never come about. It's something in your life unless God moves. You'll come to that place where you said, I can't even eat because I need God to move in my life. I remember a couple years ago, Pastor Bob Wise, who's a sectional director of our um, Association of Assemblies of God Churches. His daughter was diagnosed and dying of cancer. And I saw him one day in the parking lot. He had his back seat full of suits. I mean, like, a, you know, a clothing rod. And all suits hanging across the whole back seat. I'm going, I, I have to see him in the parking lot. Pastor Bob, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to give these suits away. Uh, they don't fit me anymore. And I said, oh, wow. He, and he did, I could tell he lost a lot of weight. And I said, wow, you... You on a diet? You, you, he's like, no. He said, ever since our daughter was diagnosed, I haven't been able to eat. And he had lost 50 pounds. And he's just fasting and crying out to God. 
There are times in your life where you're going to hit a spot. You're going to say, I can't do anything here and I need something from God. How do you pray in those times? You pray like Daniel prayed. You pray like Daniel prayed. You say, God, hear my prayer. You are almighty and you are wonderful and you are righteous and you are good. God, forgive me. I confess that I am a sinner and I bring nothing to the table and I have no leg to stand on. But God, would you act? Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Not because of my righteousness, but because of your mercy. God, would you act? And I'll tell you the end of the story. Pastor Bob's daughter went to be with Jesus. Didn't answer his prayer the way he had hoped. But he knew he heard it. And he knew he was loved. And he could still trust God. And whatever you're praying for, know that God hears you. That God loves you. That God is at work in your life. Because just like that angel told told Daniel the end of the story, God has told you the end of the story. That if you trust in Jesus, you'll be with God forever. And that this world is working on God's timeline. And in the end, he wins. And he's told you the end of the story. And so when you and I are living in exile, in the midst of a place trying to follow God amongst people that don't just know God hears you he loves you and he's at work as this team as the team plays this final song just take a moment to reflect whatever part of that prayer you need to pray maybe you just need to recognize who God is and you need to lift him up maybe like those 10 verses in the middle you need to confess God forgive God forgive Maybe there's a request that you need to make known to God and say, God, there's no reason in me that you should answer this. But here's what I come to you with. But God, I will trust you. Lord, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for your words to him. Thank you for pulling back the curtain on the life of this man of God and how he prayed. Teach us. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray in exile. Teach us to pray in times of pain. Teach us to pray rightly before you. And now as we worship and pray, guide us and lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.